Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of What to Watch on Netflix. My name is Jed Shepard, and I am your host. Uh, this is a show where we recommend films and TV shows uh, from around the world, uh, from some of the favourite um, actors and actresses and filmmakers um, that there is. This is kind of a, a good episode for me because I get to speak to one of my favourite uh, actresses from my favourite film of all time, which is Night of the Comet, um, and I absolutely cannot wait. Um, so, hello, Catherine Mary Stewart. Hello, how are you? I'm so good. I'm so glad we got the technology working now. <laughs> Yes, this is so much better. We've got to go old school. Just got to go old school. We do. Um, Should we start with um, my favourite film of all time, which is Night of the Comet? Um, (laughs) I love it. Yeah. I mean, you must get this all the time. You must get uh, people coming up to you and just proclaiming their love for a film that you probably didn't think was going to be so um, Um, long-standing. What's the the general reaction you get from uh, uh, Night of the Comet fans? Yeah, you know, I've gone to um, a bunch of conventions where the fans just kind of descend en masse, which is, uh, the first time I did it, it was um, shocking because, first of all, I didn't start doing these kind of convention things until, like, what was it? It was maybe 2010 or something like that. I'd never done them before. I'd always sort of hesitated. And so... You know, the general public, when you're walking down the street and things, I mean, we did shoot it in, like, 1984 or something, so I've probably changed a little bit physically. (laughs) (laughs) It was a prime year for film, though, so... Yeah, it was a a good few years for me, that's for sure. (laughs) Um, So I don't get stopped on the street, per se, very often, although... On occasion, somebody will, like, driving by, will roll down the window and say something like, are you an actress? Are you somebody? You know, something like that. Um, But, yeah, at these conventions, I mean, the enthusiasm when these fans first came up to me was, like, shocking. And then, but it it became something that I've I've really... um, learn to embrace and enjoy and i'm always so sort of satisfied with with their reaction to it because the the original audiences now are you know in their 40s probably and they've kind they had such an affinity to this film that they've passed it down to their own children um lots and lots of women feel empowered by it, you know, because there's a couple of strong valley girls. I mean, the whole (laughs) thing is kind of tongue-in-cheek, but in order for something to be taken seriously, or or, not seriously, but to make, I think, a good story or a good film, you have to have a lot of integrity and honesty behind the characters so that the audience can relate to them. And I think that that was really successful with Night of the Comet, you know? These were were characters that people could relate to on some level. I totally agree, yeah. Yeah, and, and also, you know, you rarely see, I think, you rarely see movies where the entire narrative revolves around two females, let alone Mm -hmm. two young valley girls. So that was sort of a a unique thing, too. And it just proved also that that is something 
men and women enjoy. I mean, more men love uh, the characters, Samantha and Reggie. You know, they love yeah, them. I really do. My, my, my experience of Night of the Comet is um, I watched it way after it, it kind of uh, was first released. I watched it in, in the 90s sometime. Um, and... Uh, You've you've lived in London before, so you know there's a we have Channel Four, and uh, late at night mm. sometimes they had when when I was a uh, maybe. 12 13 i stayed up really late past my curfew um and it was about one one o'clock in the morning um i just saw an advert for something that was coming up and it said night of the comet and i thought oh that that sound that sounds quite interesting sounds like a 50s movie or something and i was a bit advanced yeah. as, a, as, a, as a child and um i watched it <laughs> and i was absolutely blown away i'd never seen anything like it before or since mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um from that day I, I i've been a cheerleader for that movie forcing it in front Aww. of people as much as possible um, and it's also the touchstone that I, I go to when I have a when uh, I'm in a new relationship with someone I always say watch this let me know what you think if they come back with with a glowing review then I know they'll be with me for life otherwise uh, they'll get kicked <laughs> to the curb because they're not my kind of person um, that's the touchstone oh wow it, it really, that's really a lot is. of responsibility on this movie <laughs> I think a lot of my friends hate it because uh, of how much I, I talk about it um, but I it really is one of those films that um kind of just stays with you and I'm not sure if it's the kind of wish fulfillment of being um alone in the world where you can get up to to anything you want um or if it's just the kind of uh, the, the unusual premise um and especially seeing two siblings two sisters in in, the, in those roles um I'd love to know how you came how you got into this role and how you were approached and um everything basically and don't you think no detail is too small for me with Night of the Comet I might lose a whole load of listeners but I, I, I really want to hear every single little thing you can think of about Night of the Comet. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a long interview. <laughs> um, yeah, this, okay, so this was in my early days in, in Hollywood or mm-hmm. Los Angeles, and um, I'd just gotten off doing a couple of years on the soap opera here called Days of Our Lives. Yeah. Uh, while I was shooting Days of Our Lives, uh, I was offered uh, The Last Starfighter. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was. Uh, there were these little building blocks in terms of my career. People were sitting up and taking notice a little more of what it was I was doing. And although Night of the Comet wasn't a direct offer, you know, I, w- I sort of came in with some... Um, a little bit of cred, put it that way, because yeah. I finished Last Starfighter. And so and one of the things that I loved about the script was the fact that these these were these two crazy young characters um, in this bizarre situation. But I had, up to that point, I had been cast always, essentially, as kind of the girl next door, you know, mm-hmm. Which was fantastic, but it's it, it's um, not really my personality. Yeah. I grew up with two older brothers. I'm, I'm more of a tomboy. I was a dancer for years and years and years, so very physical. And I thought, this is more, this character is more who I am, and I can bring a lot to it, I felt like. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so I, I went in uh, to the auditioning process, um, probably not. I mean, I was uh, people 
knew who I was, so I probably wasn't sort of brought in as a complete unknown yeah, yeah. to audition just directly for the uh, for the casting person. I frankly forget the the details, but <laughs> I went in and um, was called back and was paired with a young lady that looked, she and I physically looked quite a bit alike. She had darker hair and blue eyes. And then um, Kelly Maroney was partnered with a blonde girl as her older sister. And we auditioned and I was like, well, that's interesting. They're, you know, they're going two different ways, but that's fine, whatever, physically. Um, When I found out that I got the job, I found out, and I found out that Kelly Maroney was my sister. I thought, well, good for them. <laughs> you know, they just took the best. They don't really care if we look like each other because <laughs> we don't. <laughs> and, but, you know, I guess they just chose who they thought would be best in the role. And, it, it, you know, ultimately, it doesn't really matter what you look yeah, like. You don't question it for a second. Uh, you seem like yeah, sisters. Yeah, it's on funny, screen, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, we really did establish a great relationship together, and we're still good friends to this day. She, yeah. I live in New York. She lives in Los Angeles. But we see each other probably a few times a year when I go out there, or she comes here, or yeah. we do conventions together. So we did have a great chemistry, um, and it, our, our relationship remains, you know, solid. And, and what was it like, like on set? Were there any particular stories about being on set so were you into horror films to start with or is this like something brand new to you because i know you hadn't as far as i can see hadn't done any kind of uh, genre films up until that point maybe maybe the apple but um a little bit um <laughs> we'll come <laughs> on to the apple, don't worry. the apple that's what i want to know well, i don't know <laughs> it's like his own genre um <laughs> yeah it's created its own genre <laughs> well um were you into horror films or uh, before doing night of the comet or was this new to you and this was new to me right. this, yeah what i always say about horror films is that they scare me yeah. <laughs> so it's like i i what was the last horror film i went to oh it was oh gosh um get out or one of the one about it was the one where uh you have to be perfectly silent through the whole thing you know, oh that's um, a quiet place the quiet place thank quiet you very place, much yeah I, I went to see it because I was curious, but I, I went with my husband and I was like, oh, what am I doing here? Why am I here? <laughs> because, I, I, you know, half the time I'm just covering my face. And I went to Jurassic World the other day and that I was screaming out loud and pounding really? on the floor with my feet. I'm like, no, no, that's not so well, that's Jurassic World's actually shot like a horror film because the director, J.A. Uh, Bayona, he, he came from mm-hmm. the horror film uh, background. So, um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So well, there of, you go. Yeah. Um, so, it worked for me. Yeah. And um, so you're actually um, destroying the illusion that I have of you as Reggie now, because Reggie's meant to be Reggie's meant to be strong and tough, and uh, a horror film w- wouldn't wouldn't face her for a second. But um, I'm, I'm, mm. I'm joking. Right? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I wouldn't if 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 I was the character Reggie, I wouldn't be scared for a second. But oh yeah, I'm, that, it gets me to the quick. You know, <laughs> the thing about Night of the Comet is mm-hmm. it's not it, it is kind of a, a unique genre itself i mean yes there's zombies and all that and yes there's the end of the world it's sort of a catastrophic ending of the world and all that other stuff Mm -hmm. but it it truly it's it's pretty funny it really is (laughs) it's yeah i remember my kids 
I, I remember my kids watching it like uh, when they were little. They uh, for a birthday party. <laughs> it was funny. My kids were, were born on July 27th and July 29th, and oh, wow. the same year they decided to invite people over and screen my movies. They were of the age where it it was appropriate, <laughs> and my daughter's friends were watching Night of the Comet. I kept hearing scream all over the place, you know, I thought, oh, I thought it was kind of funny myself. <laughs> but yeah, so it did have, you know, that that sort of feeling. But it wasn't, you, you know, a 100% committed horror film to try to get you to jump out of your seat. It was yeah. meant to be kind of silly. So It's true. Um, and the dialogue um, uh, that you and, and Kelly Moroni have is I haven't seen that type of dialogue out of um, kind of like a 40s film with that quick, quick kind of witted uh, uh, dialogue back and forth. And uh, when mm. Kelly's speaking to, to your to your mum and uh, she gets a she gets a slap, just just that dialogue there is brilliant. And just the interplay between between both of you is is, is brilliant. What what did you think when he saw the script? When he saw um, um, when he saw the words written on, on, on in black and white, did you have any kind of reaction to it? Did you think it was going to be a cult hit or did you think this was something that was going to kind of be swept under the carpet at, very soon? You know, I never go into any job thinking, oh, this is going to be a huge hit. I, yeah. I think that's kind of like committing suicide almost, <laughs> you know, it's like, True. you don't want to, you don't want to set yourself up for that kind of failure. All you can really do, and it, it, films are so subjective. Uh, one person will absolutely hate it and another person will absolutely love it. So mm -hmm. if you, if you go, I think you're not, you're, you're being of no service to yourself. If you go into something thinking it's going to be a big smash hit and it would be silly to go into something if you think it's going to be a huge failure <laughs> you <true>. know um <laughs> uh reading scripts it's it's essential obviously to read the script ahead of time and mm -hmm. just kind of pay attention to your gut reaction to it and like i said i was very attracted to the character i, I found it very whimsical definitely um but I, I, you know you can tell if a script is good to you, if you can just read it from cover to cover, like in one sitting, um, if you if you have trouble getting through it, there's usually a reason. Um, and when you talk about dialogue, if dialogue uh, just feels easy to repeat, you know, to if it sort of flows trippingly off the tongue, yeah, yeah. then it's it's so much easier because trust me, there are lots of scripts that I've received that I can't say the words. They don't make any sense to me. They they ultimately do, but I, sometimes I have to ask somebody else, what does this mean to you, this line? And what am I supposed to be portraying or saying here? Um, and I didn't feel that way with um, Night of the Comet, obviously. Yeah. There was also a fair amount of improvisation in this movie. Really? Okay. And the, and the other and the other element is that Tom Eberhardt is a huge fan of like 40s and 50s yes, movies. Yeah. So he's a director and the writer. He wrote the script. He did, yeah, yeah. So uh, have you mentioning that just it seems sort of clear to me that that's his inspiration. Mm -hmm. Um I hadn't thought about it before. Yeah, um, it's it's a very kind of fifties kind of idea of uh, something otherworldly coming to Earth and 
making a, a mass extinction or uh, wiping out a, a bunch of people. Um, uh, can I ask you about your relationships with, with other members um, of the cast of Night of the Comet? Just your thoughts about, if I say a name, just your thoughts about them. Um, so Robert Beltran, who played Hector, um, at mm-hmm. first the only other kind of guy on Earth. Um, what did you think of him? <laughs> he was great. Yeah. Um, um, I, was, I was trying to think of... Uh, when he decided he there's a, some sort of a story and I, I don't really I read it somewhere uh, uh, but I don't recall specifically but it okay. took them a little while to get him to agree to do this little movie right. um, but uh, he he was you know he was like the guy yeah. so when you're in sort of um you're in the world of making the movie and there's like one the guy yep. it's like they can do no wrong <laughs> you're just like you're the most handsome man ever <laughs> but but i mean in turn you know you sort of all the girls just have a big crush on robert beltran on the set. <laughs> yeah and he really is a sexy guy and he his He's got this beautiful, smooth voice, and which is very, very seductive. And um, um, it was really, really. I was a little intimidated by him, but I think that I think that fit into the character. You yeah, know, yeah. you're the only guy left on Earth, and both <laughs> me and my sister want to date you, and you seem like you're kind of attracted to me. I don't know what to do with this. Um, so that all played into it. You know, he was. He's a lovely charming he's he's exactly how he comes across on film i can imagine he's, yeah he's magnetic he's he's uh charming he has this voice like butter <laughs> <laughs> um he's very seductive yeah did you love working with him so you're quite, you're quite i missed him. him i haven't oh you haven't seen him. i was quite fond of him are, are you kidding we all were <laughs> um i miss seeing him you know yeah. he's one uh, Kelly Maroney is really the only person I kept in touch with. Right, but yeah. I, I, I know that Robert Beltran does these conventions. He does, yeah. Um, for, you know, Star Trek and stuff like that. Um, and I'm hoping one day we cross paths at a convention so we can reminisce and have a few laughs. Yeah, well, he does, I think, because you'll you're, you're come into London to do the London film and, and, and Comic-Con. Um, I think he's he's done that recently. So um, Has he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to give you another name now. So, uh, Mary Warrenoff. Mary Warrenoff. Well, it's interesting because I've worked with uh, Mary Warrenoff twice. Okay. In Night of the Comet, and then I did a thing called Scenes from the Gold Mine, and she had this little cameo in there. Okay. Um, we did. I don't. I guess we were face to face. I'm not even sure if we actually had dialogue in that movie, but yeah. Um, uh, well, she's another uh, character. You know. I always think of Barry Warrenoff and, um, y- you know, from uh, Eating Raoul. Eating Raoul, yeah, with that Robert Bol- Beltran as well. He was it was Robert Beltran, yeah. right. And they were both in this, and I thought, oh, that's the coolest thing ever, ever <laughs> because, uh, you know, they're, they're real characters, that, well, Mary Warrenoff specifically, from like a whole different kind of era, yeah. you know, and, and attitude and um, kind of 60s uh stuff, uh, art scene she was involved with. And so, and she's an artist herself, as a matter of fact. So oh, okay. that was, it was really cool. Um, just being around that and watching her and her whole process and everything. It's just yeah. how cool she, she's just a cool woman. 
she, she's, she's very cool. cool yeah okay i've got another name for you here um so how about uh, sharon farrell who played uh, your stepmother evil stepmother yeah sure yeah. <laughs> evil stepmother yeah she you know um was she like an Alfred Hitchcock actress at one point? Oh, Something okay. like that. She rose to fame through kind of, uh, I think, like in the 60s and 70s. She did quite a bit of stuff. Um, she was quite a character. She, again, she's, she's like great. the character she She's great. She she is that character. I mean, she's just like on top of it. She's high energy, high, you know, She's the nicest person you ever want to meet, and she just commits 110% into uh, into the role. So, yeah. She's great. Enjoyed uh, her. One more name. Uh, Mark Popple, who played uh, DMK, Danny Mason Keener. Did you, I know you oh, right, right, really right. didn't have very much time with him on, on screen, but um, he, I guess, is your love interest. And if there ever is a sequel, I guess it's you to repopulate an earth. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Uh, me and uh, Robert Beltran and and uh, DMK and, yeah, and yeah. Sam. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Honestly, no idea. I mean, he he drove up in the car and Kelly Maroney and he had that line yeah. and we were literally. I don't even think I saw him up close, frankly. Maybe at lunch. I'm not sure. But he was, he was a great character that was. That's right. I love that ending. And it's so good. Honestly, it, it took me a long time to put the license plate and the you know the screen of the game that, together. I think the that was DMK. the first. That was the first like mic drop thing I've ever seen in a movie where. Um, at my formative mind in my like probably preteens saw that and was like oh my god that's the name from the from the arcade machine and it all kind of came came flooding yeah, back right. it's it's such a nice touch it's it's so it's i mean some people probably won't remember maybe because you only really see the arcade stuff at the start of the movie um but it's mm-hmm. such a nice touch for those that that remember that um yeah it's just an amazing yeah, you movie. really have to be on you have to be on top of it you know and and like i said i didn't even put it together yeah <laughs> It's for the longest time, and, yeah. And you say that you um, you kind of um, did a little bit of improvisation. Was, was that mostly in the mall scenes uh, when you were dancing around and stealing stuff? And well, let's see. Um, I you know these Mac tens that we were shooting used to get jammed a lot, right? And so we incorporated that into. Um, into the the film a little bit and uh kelly says daddy would have got us uzis and i we've been shooting up a car and i and i say you know well the car didn't know the difference um uh that's one you know we did did you make um, that 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 wasn't scripted what's that that wasn't in the script you just ad-libbed that Uh, yes right wow wow that's one of the kind of the big lines in the movie so I know, right? <laughs> Credit to you. Um, I know. That's right. It was like, uh, it, but it, yeah, those. So as we went through, I mean, Tom Amberhart was really great about just it, it, letting us sort of do our own thing or whatever. I mean, you know, I think a lot of the stuff, uh, um, I don't know, maybe on the, the rooftop, you know, yeah. I don't know, the, the stores are open was uh, just, it just sort of was, was, you know, spontaneous, but but it, mm-hmm. all the the blocking and everything, and you know, twirling the batons, and we just kind of like 
what was really nice about this movie was it was small, it was low budget, we were sort of kind of off the map in terms of when we were shooting it, a lot of the stuff that we shot downtown after the comic, when I'm coming home on the motorcycle. Yeah, that was like Christmas morning or something. And that was downtown LA. You could never do that now, obviously. (laughs) Um, Downtown LA is like a crazy place. But um, uh, yeah, at that time, so yeah, we were, it, uh, it, it just sort of felt free it felt like we were all in it together one day like for instance the makeup guy didn't show up he just didn't show up nobody knew where he was he was obviously out partying something the night before (laughs) and so we were all sitting around waiting for him we thought "Ah, we'll just do it ourselves (laughs) (laughs) he showed up the next day i think it was the 80s you could get away with it kind of thing (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, probably so they were going to try and hire some some new person <laughs> so the locations are, um, are, are in this movie are, are also so great i um once i was in la once and i was at the el rey and i was and i was thinking to myself why do i know that the layout of this place so well what why do i know this and then a suddenly twig that i was in the cinema where you worked in night of the comet and uh, i had to tell everybody around me have you seen night of the comet this is where we're in reggie's work um and y- uh, yeah, I, I love those type of things. Um, did you spend much time um, playing arcade games um, in in your kind of in your youth, or did you have to pretend that you were great at it? When um, on the specific game Tempest. Yeah, no, never played that game before in my life. I mean, the the most I ever played was like Pac Man, right. literally. Um, so it was, it was, it, it, there was nothing really even on the screen. I think they put really? the whole game on afterwards. It was right. just a matter of looking really enthusiastic. And, and there were, the, the DP really liked feet. Yeah. <laughs> so he was like, you know, I had a lot of foot acting in this movie, <laughs> in case you haven't noticed. I did notice that. Um, yeah. Did you notice that? Well, <laughs> yeah. you. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah, there was, there was that, uh, but yeah, no, it was all a matter of me uh, trying to look like I knew what I was doing, but really not having a clue and, and being directed on what to do. Like, oh, yeah, you win. Yahoo! Or, and then you put in DM or uh, I guess whatever my, what is it? Reg, R-E-G. R-E-G, yeah. All um, that stuff. Because um, you also get get to ride a, a motorcycle in this. Is that really you riding a motorcycle, or is that <laughs> is that Hollywood magic? That's really me on a motorcycle being pulled behind a truck on a trailer. <laughs> I'm never going to think of this movie the same again. Now it's. <laughs> I know, I know. See, you want to know all the details? I know. I, really I did not know how to ride a motorcycle. Motorcycles are really hard to ride. Dangerous. I mean, especially when you're small. Yeah. I, mean, I had a boyfriend once who had a motorcycle and I literally, it was standing up and I literally tried to just get on the back of it and it <laughs> fell over. It was so what? heavy. I couldn't hold wow. it up. Wow. But um, yeah, so yeah, it was me pretending to ride a motorcycle as I'm being pulled behind a, a truck. Um, but the, the one scene after I fight the zombie in the alley. Yeah. Where I have that fighting. That was me. That was me fighting. Nice. It has any cred for you. (laughs) Talking of that Ali Zombie, did did you see uh, the Ali Zombie make uh, an appearance recently? 
I did not. Oh, okay. So um, in, in Walking Dead, um, because they're fans of Night of the Comet, they put the, they put the alley zombie that you fought into an episode of Walking Dead. Did you not know this? You are I did not. I don't watch Walking Dead. Oh, okay. I, I will. It's basically. <laughs> I have to check it out. The exact same makeup, same costume, um, and it's the Ali Zombie from from and 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 they they said it was. Um, I'll I'll send you a link to it afterwards. I'll send you a a, a clip of it. It's it's brilliant. Absolutely, send me a link. I'd love to see that. And I, I should be calling up the Walking Dead and saying, yeah. "Hey, I'm looking for a job." Do you know what? They're, they're losing <laughs> Andrew Lincoln, so maybe Reggie can take over and. <laughs> That's and very good. Who are they losing? The, the main character, um, Andrew Lincoln. Oh. He's um, he's leaving midway through next season, and uh, so they're trying. Well, they make one of the sub kind of characters step up and and be the oh. main character. But it'd be great if 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 you were in it. Wouldn't that be fun? It would be so good. And and you're probably one of the few people that have a CV with um, relevant experience of uh, fighting zombies as well. <laughs> yeah, which is great. I know. I mean, I know what I'm doing. I can go in there and tell them all, of, you know, how to handle this whole thing. Exactly. I've got knowledge, man. I've got experience. <laughs> you really do. <laughs> and how was it working with with Tom Eberhardt? Like, what was? Um, he seems like uh, he's quite a um, an interesting guy. He is an interesting guy. He's quite a character. Um, yeah, this was like his passion piece. You know, he this was his baby, and um, you know, it's a trickle down. Uh, feeling mm -hmm. from the on a set from the director through everybody through the PAs everything. If if there's a good attitude at the top, you're gonna just have a good time. Yeah. And because he was so passionate about this this uh, movie, I mean, it just it just affected everybody that way. Um, so he, he he's a lovely man. He's a very kind man. He's kind of quiet, but he, uh, you know, is was completely 100% dedicated to the making of this movie. And as a result, so was everybody else. Yeah. So I have nothing but admiration for him. I think he's a, he's, he's borderline genius for coming up with something like this and executing it so well. Um, and because it was, mm -hmm. it was, it's very much loved now. I mean, it did well at the time, but um, I think now um, there's so much kind of love for it. People growing up with it, showing it to their friends, me specifically being the main cheerleader for this movie. Um, <laughs> do you think there will ever be a sequel or a TV spin-off for, for Night of the Comet? I have, you know, I have no idea. This, okay. this, somebody brought up this uh, movie for the the London uh, convention that I'm doing in a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they, their attitude was, eh, it's it's not a big enough movie. And Whoa. I just, I really beg to differ with that. I beg I to mean, differ, big style. <laughs> yeah. So you should just put a little bug in their ear because. Yeah. This is an internationally popular movie. Mm -hmm. um, they they're doing a big Last Starfighter reunion, which is wonderful. And, yep. You know, Lance Guest has done like lots of other movies as well that were, you know, fun genres and stuff like that. As have I and and um, Nick Castle. You know, it's all combined in there. Yeah. Well, um, should, should we go on to the Last Starfighter? I, I, should we talk about that for a bit? 
sure. Yeah. I was just going to encourage you to, to, you know, although Night of the Comets is sort of a standalone in terms of the cast and whatever, it's I think it's a very, very popular movie internationally. Yeah. Um, we, we, we draw a big audience when we do conventions here. I mean, I'd love to, I mean, I think that there was a rights issue with Night of the Comet where nobody really knew who owned the rights to the film. Um, but I'm assuming it's... Um, it's obviously the writer director who who it would default back to if no if nobody knows. Um, oh. Yeah, so it's a, it's a re- it's a real shame that there hasn't been either a remake where you can be in it in in, in some way or a sequel or kind of a TV project. But um, um, I don't know if you. I think a little while ago, uh, either myself or someone sent you my short film Dawn of the Deaf. Um, yes, I saw that. You saw, oh, that's excellent. Cause I just looked at it again recently. Oh, I, I loved great. it. I thought it was great. Oh, I'm so glad. Because that that's um, kind of a little bit inspired by Night of the Comet. Um, and uh, yeah, and we're, we're making it into a feature film later on this year. I will speak to, to you and Kelly about about uh, doing something for that um, in, in the near, f- near uh, future. But I'm really glad you, you no, like I the show. No, I think it's great. I think it's really, it's got a real unique twist to it. So Yeah, it's funny because um, we, we took it. I think it, did a good job. We took it around the world. We, we took it to Sundance and we took it London Film Festival, Berlin and, and Barcelona. All, we played like, over 160 festivals. And every festival I was at, when I was doing the Q&A or the intro at the start, um, people asked me what, what was my influence. And I, straight away, it was like Night of the Comet. Night of the Comet is the best film ever made. Go watch Night of the Comet. It's on Netflix right now. <laughs> Every single one. So I, I'm, I hopefully have uh, done my job in, in getting more people to watch it. Um, Excellent. <laughs> uh, but The Last Starfighter. So um, I watched this again yesterday and it, I remember it w- much differently than, than watching it as a kid. Um, it also starts again with yourself at a arcade machine. So um, both Night of the Comet <laughs> and The Last Starfighter have you and the reflection of a, of a computer game on your face, um, which, which is quite strange. What's your experience on, on, on The Last Starfighter? What did you think of the process of making it? Um, yeah, that was sort of like the ultimate experience for me. Yeah. I mean, this was the first feature film I did in the United States. I'm from Canada originally. Yeah. Um, and the first movie, you know, The Apple was shot in Berlin, a cast in London. I was living in London. So this was the first feature um, that I did in the United States. And it was just like, it it couldn't have gone better for me. Yeah. I mean, the whole process uh, was just a just a sweet, lovely thing from the director. Who again, it makes such a difference when you have a director in a project that you're working on that is so um, involved and dedicated yeah. to it. This was another kind of and that was he Nick was Castle. involved with the writing. Nick Castle, right. Uh, this was, um, and he was involved with the writing, and of course he directed it, and, um, you know, he, he, uh, he wanted to cast um, Robert Preston as Centauri because he, he, he loved the music man. He, I mean, this role was literally written for Robert Preston. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, it was it was such a lovely experience. Um, it was it, and it was also a truly authentic casting um, process. I mean, there were 
in the room, in the casting room, there were all the hot sort of 80s rat pack or brat pack, I guess they were called back then, um, actors, and then Lance and I, and, and he and I, we were paired up, and he and I read together. Um, well, actually, I guess we were all, we all read, and then in the callback, he and I were paired together. Excellent. And Lance is such a dedicated uh, actor. He, he, we, in a callback situation, you know, you say, okay, here's who you're going to read with. And then you have like, however many minutes to sort of go, oh, hello, you're my boyfriend. Great. (laughs) You know, it's a really weird, um, unworldly kind of situation. (laughs) Fantastical kind of situation. He, he, he and I went out into another room and we sat and we talked about the characters and what we thought uh, we should do, how to approach it. I mean, he really wanted to, um, get to know me and not just kind of jump in and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, that was that was so great for me and it was good for him. And we went in and, in fact, in that audition, they kind of wanted us to improvise a little bit, like the scene at the lake, oh, you know, right. yep. Yep. Um, improvise that a little bit, although we never ended up making out or anything. We were just lying there kind of talking about the stars and la, la, la. <laughs> And and we uh, we had a really great chemistry, and um, apparently they they liked what we gave them, and we were cast in, in which was interesting because there was a lot bigger names sitting there wanting to do this movie than us, um, but they went for the underdog, so oh. gotta love that. Who, were there some other kind of big names who were potentially um, in line to to be cast for this? Uh, well, I think, I believe, you know, Eric Stoltz was in there. I he was up for everything, him. Eric Stoltz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ali Sheedy. Wow. Um, those are the two I remember specifically. Uh, Elizabeth Shue, probably. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Those That era. Yeah. Wow. Because I know, um, just a quick, quick... Uh, journey back to Night of the Comet. I know um, for uh, Kelly Maroney's role, it was going to be Heather Langenkamp, apparently. Did, did It was going to be who? Heather Langenkamp, who played Nancy from Night, um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Apparently, oh, okay. Yeah, did you know that? She she was, I think she auditioned for it, but um, Kelly Kelly got the role. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so She was on Nightmare at Elm Street? She was. She played the, the, the lead girl in Nightmare on Elm Street, which was, I think, the year before this, or maybe the, the same year. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, the, the right person got it. Um, so the, the, the concept of the, the last Starfighter um, is very similar to the concept of um, a, a book that came out recently by Ernest Klein called um, Armada. Do you, do you know about this? Uh, no, I don't. So, you know, you know the guy that wrote uh, Ready Player One? Uh-huh. The author of that, he his kind of follow up to Ready Player One, uh, that big Steven Spielberg movie, was a book called Armada. Mm-hmm. And what Armada is about mm-hmm. is about a boy who finds uh, an arcade machine, and it turns out to be a test for for the best space kind of army uh, in order to fight an alien race that's about to kind of attack. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, that sounds quite a bit like the last Starfighter. <laughs> yeah, and if you see every review of that book, it's like, yeah, he's just done the last Starfighter again. Um, 
And also, there was a, there's another piece of media recently that came out. I think it's called Future Man. Um, by uh, I think Seth Rogen produced it. Um, do you know about right. this story? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, isn't it a... Is it a TV series or is it a film? It's a it's a TV series. I've, I've only watched the pilot. Yeah. Um, but it's essentially the, the last Starfighter. They again. refer to the last Starfighter in it. Yes. Don't they? Yes, they do. Yeah. Because yeah. they couldn't get the rights for the last Starfighter. Um, uh, to basically make it into a TV show, so um, they made their own version. Um, but it's funny that these things come along, and um, there's always. Uh, a time for, for these type of films to come back um, and I feel like mm-hmm. The Last Starfighter is one of them there's always talk of remake remaking The Last Starfighter, mm-hmm. Starfighter so um, could, you, could you see that being remade? Well the, I, yes but the problem with remakes these days is they they remake them into some giant action packed crazy space adventure thing that really you know the last starfighter was about a young boy who wanted to make something of his life after he graduates from high school yeah. and he he finds himself in this extraordinary situation and there are you know the last <clears throat> excuse me last starfighter is famous for its cgi because it's it's sort of um it's uh, it 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 was groundbreaking the CGI in, in really the Last was. Starfighter. They they literally were creating these programs as we were shooting the movie. Um, I think it was this and Tron so that, very, that kind of were the first kind of films to do CGI in in a big way on screen, and uh, the special effects are great. Well, the, the, it was it was truly the genesis of the CGI you see today. I mean, obviously, they, they, the, the people who created these programs were so rushed because, because it was, uh, uh, it was, are we going to do traditional special effects? Are we going to do this new CGI thing? And so they were rushing to just get the CGI out there in a state that was acceptable. Yeah. Um, so, so they were even, apparently, the technicians were even disappointed with, you know, how, how it, Turned out they would have they would have liked to spend you know four months longer just refining them all but yeah. um, they just the schedule is too tight but um, um, yeah I feel like when these kind of movies are remade you sort of lose the integrity of the original um, I this, agree, it, yeah. Yeah, there's a way around it a little bit if they just kind of load up the sequel or the remake with people that were in the original film it kind of takes the edge off it a little bit so it's more of a transition rather than something brand new um so have you recently been approached to be in a kind of sequel to this because i know there is something out there that's i'm not sure who's producing it but there is something out there so you've not been asked no you know there's been something out there um on one level or another for years. Right. Um, nobody's uh, approached me because I really don't think it's at a stage where it's, it's been greenlighted at all. You yeah. know, it's just an idea. Mm. Um, yeah. It would be really nice if, if it was like a sequel as opposed to a remake. Yeah. Um, and just 
because the end of the movie is is so open to that yeah. concept um to see what happened with uh you know Alex and um Maggie and where are they now are they back on earth do they have a family are they in outer space saving yeah. the universe you know that would be sort of interesting to explore i feel like a lot of movies these days especially the gigantic big blockbusters have just lost a sense of exploring characters yeah which which really, I mean, it's one thing to just go into a movie and have all your senses, like, blown out of your brain. <laughs> but, but there's something about having, like, characters, sympathetic characters that people can relate to that, that um, sort of solidifies the film itself in your brain. You know what I mean? It's something you think about afterwards and you talk about and discuss as opposed to, yeah, that was really great. (laughs) Look, they used, uh, I don't know, they used a rhino as a weapon this time (laughs) or something. Yeah. Um, Um, It's it's uh, a great film, though. I think it stands up uh, to the test of time and and people still love it now. It's one of those films that um, people still talk about and I'm sure you, you get it at conventions a lot. People saying how much they love the last Starfighter. What what gets more yeah. love? Do you do you think? Um, do you think it's the last Starfighter or was it Night of the Comet? I I don't know. I think it's a different kind of love. Let's say. Okay. You know, again, the last Star Starfighter is sort of a, a sweeter kind of story. Yeah. You know, it's it's just about this boy who's trying to to prove himself and. And this young girl who's like has to choose between uh, being comfortable or taking a chance in her mm-hmm. life, as does he. We, both the characters really do. Yeah. Um, which is a, kind of a simple uh, story, uh, but very sweet. And then in amongst this extraordinary situation, um, and then the comet is just more like funny horror zombie stuff. It's more <laughs> of a um, it's more of a a lark, I guess, you know. Yeah. Although I do believe that what helps this movie, entire, uh, Night of the Comet, is, is the characters. You care about the characters mm-hmm. as you're watching Very it. true, very true. true. Um, just to touch on a couple more uh, movies, uh, because we, I've kept you for a very long time. Uh, but Weekend at Bernie's, what do you think of, uh, how does that stand uh, up in the uh, 21st century? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, What's your experience working yeah, on that? It was great. It was great. <laughs> you know, when you ask me my experience working on, I I have very few movies that I didn't have a great experience on, oh, or good. or uh, you know, most experience uh, most experiences I just revel in because I love working. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there might be elements in there that were not as easy to deal with. But in general, I can't say that, wow, that work sucked. You know, I hated being there. Um, but yeah, uh, with Weekend of Bernie's, that was that was sort of a crazy movie. It, was, it sort of started for me with this kind of turbulent audition where I was called in to read for the director um, uh, with Jonathan Silverman in their office. And no sort of pre-interview. It was just they wanted me. So I went in and I read, and I completely screwed up the lines. <laughs> I was just, like, intimidated by the presence of these two guys. I mean, and I just was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I've screwed up so bad. And 
And, and you know, I sat there and I, I chatted with them for a little while, but I left and I immediately called my agent. And I was like, I cannot believe I screwed up as bad as I did. <laughs> and uh, so I don't know if he called them or whatever, but whatever happened, they they weren't too offended by my read because they hired me, which was wonderful. Um, uh, You know, I read this script and I was like, this is silly. I mean, (laughs) it's supposed to be a comedy. Who's going to laugh at a dead body being dragged behind a boat and banging into boys in the water? And um, I really, I was like, that's kind of offensive and gross. (laughs) So dark. You know, I wasn't involved with those scenes, so I was fine with that, and it was fun for me. One of the things about this movie that attracted me was that it was a comedy, and I hadn't done many comedies before. So I wanted to be involved. It was a bigger movie than I'd done before. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was not meant to be a comedy, <laughs> believe it or not. Um yeah, so so when I was hired on that, and we were doing all these scenes, and they were sort of silly and crazy, and I said, oh, well, I don't know what's going to happen with this thing. <laughs> that shows you my judgment with this kind of tapping into this sophomoric sort of, I think it's mostly a male humor, I, yeah. I want to say. I don't mean to be sexist. No, I agree. But <laughs> it, it definitely is. <laughs> <laughs> it has to, it's like a big, long fart joke in a way. <laughs> you know, women don't like fart jokes. That should be Men the tagline. Funniest, yeah, it's a big, long fart joke. <laughs> Men think fart jokes are the funniest things in the world. It's just like, ah, man. <laughs> um, but I, it, it's astonishing how it, often it's referenced. Um, you know, uh, it, it's like it's it, it it's so much fun for me to be attached to that movie. Yeah. Um, so I have been involved with with cult movies. You have a real natural. <laughs> it, it's crazy. Just we've just talked about three of yeah. like the kind of the most well known biggest cult movies that people still love to this day. Um, <laughs> it's crazy. What was it like working with Angie McCarthy? Um, great. <laughs> he cracks me up. He he's also uh, a wannabe. Well, he he does direct now, but at the time he was a wannabe director. The the scene where Jonathan Silverman and I are in his apartment and he's talking about how his parents died and yep. a plane crashed on a train and all this other <laughs> stuff. And and uh, his father shows up and wanders through and doesn't notice us at first. And then as he's leaving, do you remember that scene? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that was Tom Eberhardt. That, I mean, um, Ted Kotcheff, excuse me. Oh, that right. was Ted Kotcheff, the director. Yeah. <laughs> Not the same person. Um, it was Ted Kotcheff, the director. Um, and Andrew McCarthy was directing that scene. He got to direct it because the director was in it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Very good practice. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, Andrew is a, he's a, a pretty intense guy, but but you know he 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 uh, had such a long resume, done so much work as a younger man, and yeah. and I thought he was terrific in the role. He, he, I mean, I think he's 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 great in, in everything he did in, in this era. Um, yeah, I want to talk about quickly another one of your films. I will come to the Apple in just a second, but I just watched a little bit of Night Flyers. 
uh-huh. earlier on today. And I watched this scene, and correct me if I'm wrong, but because I'm not sure what was going on, but you were tied up on a spaceship. You get up, you start having a, a th- I think it's a four-minute fight with a guy, like fist fight, and then you throw acid in his face, kick him in the nuts, and then a laser lasers his face off. Oh, yeah, his neck. <laughs> I think that's... Yeah, well, you know, you, you, just, you just don't want to wrong me. That's, the thing. that's true. You got you to gotta be careful. I'm a tough, I'm a tough babe. You really yeah. uh, And that film was written, or the original story was written by George R.R. R. Martin of uh, Game of Thrones fame. Yes, it was. Yes, crazy. it was. <laughs> um, and now they're uh, actually making a series of that now. Are they really? Oh, wow. Yes. They're doing it for the uh, the Sci-Fi Network here in... I don't know if you'll get it there, but oh, they're we doing it, it to, for the Sci-Fi yeah. Network. Oh, you do? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was Michael Prade, a fellow Englishman. Yeah, that's great. No, not Michael Prade. Excuse me. It wasn't Michael It wasn't Michael Prade. It was Michael DeBar okay. that I had that big look. So my <laughs> character was supposed to be sort of half robot, kind of half human, <laughs> extremely strong and could really look after herself and kind of emotionless as Spock kind of a character. Um, yeah, that was, that was fun. I mean, we really had fun shooting that. I love fight scenes because there's a lot of sort of specific motion involved in movement, which is kind of my background with dance. Yeah. Um, so all that stuff is, is really fun for me. Yeah, that was, it, it, this was another sort of kind of low-budget movie, so all the, like, the special effects and things were pretty basic. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it was fun. It was, that was a little bit of a... It, it, it was a bit messy, that shoot, in oh, that really? when the script was, you know, taken from this novella, um, they hadn't really figured out an ending, how they were going to end the thing for right. some reason. I forget specifically why. So we just, without an ending, we started shooting the thing. And I'm just going to say now that's probably not a good idea. No. <laughs> um, because you should really know how the movie is going to end so that you have some sort of comprehensive body Oh, that worries uh, me now. Body movie. Do you think yeah, George yeah, yeah. R. R. Martin's um, thought of an ending uh, for Game of Thrones? That were, that were uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it'll just go on forever. <laughs> um, um, yeah, but it'll be interesting to see his take. I think it's going to be, if if there's a remake of any movie that I've done, I think probably uh, um, George R. R. Martin's version of the series will be much better. Yeah, yeah, he has a, a kind of a the Midas touch at the mo- at the moment. Um, quickly, yeah, oh, he sure does. Another film. Um, so finally, we're going to speak about the Apple. Now, mm-hmm. was, that was your first film. It was my very first film, and that was filmed in Europe. Indeed. Yeah. So I was living in London. I I, I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, in Canada. Yeah. Um, and I was a dancer. I trained as a dancer. So when I graduated from high school, I decided, as opposed to going to university, I wanted to um, go to. I wanted to pursue my dance training. Yeah. I was. I had been in a company, and we traveled all over Canada. We traveled all over the place, actually. But I wanted to really take the next step with my dance training. So I decided to go to London. 
and train there at a place called London Studio Center. Um, uh, and literally, as I was, like a story that I've told many, many times, and sorry if you've heard it before. Oh, no, I haven't, no. One day as I was walking towards class, dance class, a couple of my um, classmates were walking the opposite direction. I'm like, where are you going? <laughs> Why are you going that way when class is that way? I said, well, we heard about this dance audition for a movie, and we're just going to check it out and, and, and just do it, throw ourselves into it and see what happens. Because a lot of them were, um, you know, students that were, uh, I, not that I'd ever auditioned for a movie myself, but I remember leaving Edmonton and my uh, teacher slash mentor said, get as much experience as you can. And I thought, well, this, her little voice came up in my head when these girls said that. So I thought, I'll, I should just skip class and go with them. So I did. And I'd never been to anything like this before. It was a cattle call dance audition. Wow. Um, and there must have been... 200 people there, and I kind of jumped in. Do you know the name Nigel Lithgow? Yes, I do. The uh, Well, originally yeah. he was the dance choreographer that turned into a judge on uh, on um, American... Well, he produced a bunch of reality dance and singing shows. Yeah, yeah, produced yeah. Them. Exactly. So he was the choreographer on this thing. You know, <laughs> I didn't know who he was or anything. But it was just it's so funny to look back in retrospect. But yeah, it was one of those uh, um, cattle call auditions where we're all just like dancing away. He shows us a step and we do it and blah, blah, blah. And in the middle of <clears throat> all this, uh, I guess the director, I had no idea who the people at the front of the room were, but the director, as it turns out, was sort of like looking at me or looking in my direction at any rate and like framing his fingers, you know, like That's a good sign. <laughs> directors do and pointing towards me. And I'm like, what the heck's going on? Well, he ended up pulling me out of the group and asking me if I could act. And I said, yeah. <laughs> Can you sing? <laughs> yeah. And so he immediately showed me some sides, which are, you know, seen or a script in the, from the script. Um, most of the people that were there were prepared. They were prepared with a song. They were prepared to read for him. I just, I was on my way to class. I had nothing. <laughs> so I read for him and, um, did a little singing for him, and literally there was maybe, I remember one of the other dancers was being considered as well, um, but I was basically cast the next day, and oh. so I become, that day on, I was became an actress, <laughs> and I was, you know, the lead role in this movie, and, and I have to say, it was cast pretty, when you look at this character of Vivi, and yeah. how naive and sort of stupid she is um yeah that was me <laughs> <laughs> but as this was your first film what were your expectations for the for the movie did you i mean I'm, I'm guessing you didn't understand how the kind of movie business worked did you think that like based on this one movie uh you would forever be an actress or did you think this was, this was just a one-off i really didn't think that far into the future for me it was like wow, this is a cool new challenge. And having the discipline of being a dancer was just so important to the whole process because I had a lot of stamina. I had a lot of discipline. I knew how to follow direction. I mean, I can't begin to tell you 
how important that is when you yeah. get into something like movie making because it's such a it's so crazy and it's so fast and it's so you know there's so many demands and and I'm I was a quick learner um I was so excited about it, and I, I remember just reading the script over and over and over and over and over again. I knew everybody's dialogue. I knew all the songs off by heart. It was just, it was a real thrill for me, and I was totally into it. I enjoyed every moment of making that movie, as crazy as it was, except one time when I misread my call sheet. and We were shooting in Berlin yeah. for the most part. And Berlin at that time was before the wall had been taken down. It was like 1979. Mm -hmm. And West Berlin was like a crazy place. (laughs) Um, It was like a, a circus. Um, you know, and nothing ever closed. I mean, well, I suppose things closed, but specific crazy clubs and things didn't close. So one night I decided to go out with a bunch of dancers probably. (laughs) And we just, you know, painted the town red and I stayed out all night long and I got back to the hotel about, I don't know, seven in the morning or something. And there was this panic, you know, um, ADs were like, where is she? Where is she? And they were trying to find me in the hotel, and I ha- wasn't there. And I, they said, your, your call time was is 7.30. Where are you? you got to get going. And I'm like, what? I, I didn't think I was working that day. So I got there quite late, and Menachem Golan, who's the director, um, wow. <laughs> oh boy. He was not he was not pleased with me. He was okay. not pleased with me at all. He because it's it's expensive, yes. you know. These these uh an hour wasted is a lot of money to these people. Mm-hmm. So I, I he you know, he read me the riot act and uh I realized I better pay more attention. You know, it was all new world for me. I probably didn't even really know how to read these stupid calls. <laughs> Or I was reading the wrong one or something. But beyond that, for me, I I was living in the moment. I didn't know what would happen. I was having the time of my life. I mean, it was like living a fantasy. Um, It afterwards it opened the montreal film festival i think in 1980 um the response was not great (laughs) but it it put me on the map um and uh i after that i moved to los angeles and just the fact that i'd been the lead in a feature film really gave me the credential to find a an agent and start going out auditioning wow that's great. And what was it like working with uh, Globus and Golan of uh, Canon Films fame? Were they as yeah, crazy as, as well, I assume they would be? Uh, yeah, they were. <laughs> but I had never experienced anybody else in, in that area. So I, I, I didn't really think, oh, these guys are nuts. I was yeah. just like, wow, they're, they're, I knew they were intense. But again, what's crazy about it is, is uh, this was a passion project for them. They believed in it 100%. This was what's going to break them into the, the uh, American movie market. Because there were this kind of genre movies that were very popular at the time. Yeah. You know, Xanadu yeah. and, I don't know, there's all, there's, these rock musicals were very popular. And he thought Streets he of Fire's a on the pan. Streets of Fire? Huh? Streets of Fire was around I the same I, time? I, yeah, I, that might have been a little bit later. I'm not oh. sure. Um, but but 
he was convinced that he was making this movie that was going to just win awards, basically, um, it, without realizing that that this, his sensibility, his he was a huge director in Israel, very, yeah. very well known. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, there, there was kind of like a gap between his Israeli directing, storytelling sensibility and the American market. Um, he thought he'd close that gap, but he just missed. Yeah. So it wasn't the movie that he hoped it would be. Um, he And at the time, it was made for about $5 million, and that was a fairly large budget movie. Yeah. Um, so I felt grateful it? to be a part of it. Did a lot of the budget go towards the, the music side? Because I know the London Philharmonic uh, did uh, mm-hmm. some of the music and you used like, mm-hmm. big studios to do it. Um, and just imagine a lot of people go into being an orchestra, so um, that would eat up a lot of budget, especially on a, on a canon film. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure a, a big chunk of the um, budget went into, into the music. Wow. Yeah, for sure. Um, and there's another little... Uh, kind of camo you had in in the film the Sylvester Stallone movie uh, Nighthawk mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and if I'm right in thinking you had a because I, I grew up in South London um, near mm-hmm. Clapham Junction where the I believe some of uh, it was shot inside a department store called Arding and, and Hobbs I think it was Selfridges no, I think it's made to look like Selfridges, but it was actually... Oh, maybe it was made to look like Selfridges. Yes. Um, yeah, I just remember, uh, you know, yeah, that's where uh, that's where we shot it, for sure. Yeah, it's um, actually in South London, in Clapham. It, it's, it's a big... Um, well, it was called Arding and Hobbs, and now it's a Debenhams. Um, okay. But yeah, I think they made, made it to look like Selfridges, just to pretend it was in the West End of London rather than South London. Um Okay, but, but but yeah, was that was that interesting? Did you get to actually kind of interact much with with Sylvester Stallone? I did. He oh. took me for lunch. Oh, <laughs> I mean, he's no Robert Belton, but um, he's good. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but no, you know, for me, it was like oh, it's Rocky. You know, and he's a, he was a pretty uh, charismatic guy, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, he invited me out to lunch, and um, but that was the end of that. <laughs> it was like a, this big lunch with executives and things like that. I was, I was this, you know, I think he thought I was cute, but I yeah. wasn't interested in pursuing a relationship with Sylvester Stallone, sadly. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. In fact, uh, the the explosion of that. Um, of the store, he invited me to come and watch it from oh. behind one of the cameras. So I did, and and that was really that was really cool. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. So you know, it was an interesting experience. Rutger Hauer freaked me out completely. He was like totally into character. The scene that I do, I have this little scene with him. Mm-hmm. I'm selling him perfume or something like that. Yeah, he scared he scared the crap out of me. <laughs> but that's sort of like uh, I think again what he was supposed to be doing and he was yeah. never out of character it wasn't like hello kathy how are you and then get into his character no he was just like scary the whole time he's got that kind of face got those kind of intense eyes that are both charming mm-hmm. and scary at the same time um indeed but yeah can we quickly move on to i don't know how much time you've got left but can we talk about your, your some of your tv work my tv work sure. yeah very quickly let's talk about um the uh, time that you were in the outer limits uh, oh yeah two Outer episodes limits. 
um, which is a Canadian TV show, obviously. So that's I'm guessing that's a connection there. Um, what was your experience working on The Outer Limits, which, for my mind, is um, as good as any of the Twilight Zone kind of episodes? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I th- I'm, they were shot in Canada, but I'm going to say that they're you know they were intended for. American television, I'm thinking, but um, yeah. So um, let's see. The Outer Limits. You had one called Family Values, and the other right. one was Unnatural Selection. That's right. Um, what I love about those uh, the stories—they're so incredibly creative because they kind of investigate the future. You know what the future might look like. Yeah. Um, uh, the one, the one about the robot one. Remind me of the name of them again. Uh, so, uh, family values is about the robot, uh, the the household robot. Right. That kind family of, values. Yeah. That, yeah. So it's all about yeah. Tom Ar- Tom Arnold, um, you know, plays his husband that's yep. distracted and busy all the time and is never home, and and I become this alcoholic as his wife, and the the sort of the family values is sort of falling apart, and so he hires a a robot to. Um, <laughs> kind of take his place, to kind of fill in the blanks, you know, take the son to play baseball, do all these other things. Um, so I thought that was a very interesting That's concept really cool. in terms of, yeah, in terms of, I could see, I mean, even now you have these machines that you yell into to like turn on your TV <laughs> or whatever. I, see, I'm like, oh my God, you can't, seriously. And also, I... I'm also very suspicious of, of these uh, computer sort of run things and where all your information goes. And mm-hmm. we're seeing now, of course, that information is leaked everywhere. So I try to be as conservative as possible with that, with all that stuff. Well, um, you, were and another, was- you were in another TV show about um, a, a talking machine. You were in an episode of Knight Rider. Oh yeah, that was one of my very early, early ones. Yeah, I that watched was probably it. That- I watched it. <laughs> you did. I did, and it starts with you on a sw- swinging on a swing while photographers take pictures all around you. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I'm supposed to be a model. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I don't even really, honestly. I forget the story. It was so long ago. It was like my first role in Los Angeles. I know. I. Um, Oh my gosh, that was a long, long time ago. But I didn't have a clue of what I was doing. Let me put it that way. (laughs) I was just like, what the heck is going on? Did you get to hang out with David Hasselhoff at all? I did get to hang out with David Hasselhoff. He was quite adorable, I must say. I mean, again, he's no Robert Beltran, but he has his his charm. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody's Robert Beltran. (laughs) How can you top Robert? RB, I like to call him. Well, <laughs> um, you've been in you've been in a lot in a lot of really really cool TV shows. Um, obviously, you had it, your stint in, in Days of Our of Our Lives, which I don't think was really big over in the UK. But I know it's a, it was this kind of staple of uh, American TV for a, a very long time. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's still one of the remaining. Um, uh, soap operas here. I mean, most really? of them wow. died about five years ago, but it's hanging in there, man. Do you get to ever go back as your character, or did, or did your character? No, your character didn't die in the last episode because I, I think I watched your last episode or, or bits of it, 
and um, you didn't seem to die in it. So is there a chance that you'll come back and, and do do more of that? Well, um, what happened in that, that last episode is, unless I flushed down the toilet, I went to the bathroom or something like that, and I never came back. But <laughs> <laughs> they did... Um, they did hire somebody else to play Caleb Brady. I was no like way. the original Caleb Brady. And then they hired somebody. I think it's been through like two or three people. Um, wow. Yeah. And so, you know, the character Kayla has been established by another actress and very solidly. So there was one point, I think, before they recast it, that they asked me to come back. But I was at that point, I was starting to work a lot in film and other television. So I just didn't want to do it. Um, a few years ago, I kind of like inquired within to see if there was any interest. But there really wasn't because they, like I said, recast it. And yeah. she's very established now as the character. Uh, that, that's a real shame. Um and it's also a real shame that we have to uh, end the interview here because I know uh, yeah. you have to go. But I've really enjoyed uh, speaking to you, Catherine. It's been great. And mm-hmm. um, even though you've destroyed my illusion of Night of the Comet of you being a, a badass <laughs> warrior, um, I now know a lot more about one of my favourite films and I really appreciate you taking the time to oh, talk awesome. to me. Um, but also, what, one last well, thing. Um, I was going to say, I'm, I'm speaking to Kelly Maroney um, uh, probably oh, sometime fantastic. later on this week. So is there any particular message you want me to, to pass on to her from you? Yeah, I'll be seeing her in a few weeks, actually, oh. at a, a convention. So, yeah, just send her my love, and I can't wait to see her. And, um, you know, we're in touch all the time. Oh, so nice. it's not on Facebook. It's like emails and yeah. and or in person, for sure. So, yeah, just say hi and have fun and... That's great that you're talking to her. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed this, Catherine. Thank, thanks so much for talking. Um, thank you. No worries. Um, great. So thank you everyone for listening to uh, this episode, this Catherine Mary Stewart-centric episode of What to Watch on Netflix. Uh, Catherine, I'll speak to you again uh, sometime, I'm sure. And uh, to everyone else, uh, see you next week. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.